from the trailer park, one's from the farm. Rings on their fingers, no babies on their arms. Taking life with a grain of salt and lime. Living, loving, laughing, we're having a good time. Nothing too deep won't tell you how to vote. Two stand-up comics with stories from the road. We're cutting up, really. This podcast is on fire. We're going to read some fan mail. Uh, We're going to talk about how to produce your very own comedy show and talk about food poisoning. This is the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name is Dusty Slay, and my co-host is back with me today. She is Hannah Hogan. Back better than ever. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good, Dusty. Thanks for asking. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Yeah. Uh, you had mentioned right before the podcast uh, how you might want to talk about something. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you feel you feel up to talking about that? Yeah, I feel up to talking about it. All right. Well, let's talk about it, but let's give a shout out to our sponsors. First, uh, we have uh, Bailey Candle Company. Uh, they make candles. They're great candles. It's a soy wax, biodegradable, smells great, feels great, makes the atmosphere of the room great. And if you forget to pay your power bill, uh, they will provide light for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're really great. Go to baileycandleco.com. Use the code GOODTIME for 25% off coupon. Do get some candles so that they will continue to be our sponsor. But you you got to remember to trim that wick. You do. You do got to remember to trim the wick. Yeah, trim that wick. When you lighten candles, every new time you light it, you got to trim that wick, baby. That's right. That's gotta right. Got to get that trimmed up wick out. You got to trim that wick. Wick trim. Now, before we get into my favorite segment, which is where we've been, where we're going, uh, we're going to do, uh, we're going to talk about Hannah's mental breakdown. Yes. Yeah, so, so, you know, with traveling the way that we do, sometimes we're, you know, sometimes we're on the road all the time and we always want to accept gigs. So we get these gigs and we're like, yes, we'll do that one. Yes, I'll do that one. Yes, I'll do that one. And then you go back and you look at the map and you go, oh, gosh, the next week is going to be terrible for me with driving because comedy can be stressful. But what really is stressful is the driving to get from gig to gig. So tell us, Hannah. Uh, what happened with you? <laughs> well, I mean, I just, you know, most of the time I'm doing pretty good and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not like on Fallon like Dusty, but I'm like working. People are booking me on shows. I, I progressively feel like I'm improving in my stand up and, you know, there's a general momentum to what I've been doing this year. And I also feel fairly creatively satisfied. Um, and as a artisan, that's important. Um, but you know, on Thursday, ah, gosh, like I just, something happened to me. I just started, I just had a really bad day on Thursday and I started thinking about the shows that I have coming up over the next month and how much driving I have. And just the thought of it started to really distress me. 
and depress me and, and then upset when, me. And when she knows that she has a long drive and has to get up early, then she can't sleep. Yeah. So then she gets stressed because she's like, oh, no, now I can't sleep. And I have this long drive. Well, this has always been an issue for me. Even when I was an actress and I would have early call times, I would never be able to sleep. I couldn't. I mean, I already have sleep problems, but if I don't have anything to do the next day, you know, it it tends to be okay that I stay up until 4 a.m. just staring at the ceiling fan. Um, But, you know, when you when you know you have to sleep and then you can't sleep then I just don't sleep. And I knew I wasn't going to sleep on Thursday night and I was correct. Um, and I knew I had eight and a half hours to drive to Lynchburg, Virginia the next day and then do a show. And I knew that I had a seven hour drive from Charlotte on Sunday and a four hour drive to Charlotte. Let's talk about the breakdown. If we're going to talk about the breakdown, what, what, what do you mean when you say you had a breakdown? What happened? I just, uh, like physically, I felt like my body was bereft of joy. I felt like a real, um, like darkness in my body. And just like my mind really was starting to attack me. And I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing on Instagram? And then she begins. <laughs> yes, she she sure did have a, an well, Instagram. You know, mental I mean, the, the problem with some of it is that you know you want we all you know like there's this you know social media presence is so important now, yeah. and we're comics, uh, good and bad comics. I won't say that all comics that get social media fame are bad because they're not. But there are some bad comics out there that get social media fame, and then they start to sell out shows. So it's like. Um, you know, when you work as hard as we do and then you're not selling out those shows that way and then someone who's been doing comedy six months lands a viral video and now they're selling out shows, it can be frustrating. So the tendency can be to go, well, I got to focus on that social media. I got to get something good on social media. So Hannah was doing this. She was working hard at social media, just, (laughs) just trying to create good content. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But then, you know, you, you really put yourself out there. Yeah, and, but I also like... And then you tend to stare at your phone too much. Yeah, I've had an eye twitch for the past two months that I can't get rid of. I don't know if it's from lack of sleep or stress or, well, I, think or it's, I don't know, some sort of terrible disease. I mean, I don't really know. I don't, I'm not really sure why I have an eye twitch. Well, it's not a terrible disease. It probably disease. has to do with the lifestyle that I live, which is just constant driving and no sleep right. and high stress shows. Right, but... Or, or it could be, uh, you know, staring at your phone and at your computer. And it's stuff. probably a combination of all of it. But you know what? It doesn't have to do with how awesome my husband is. Right. Well, everyone knows that. And but anyway, uh, but so yeah, so I basically just had a bad day, and I and I and I was also and and I don't mean to make this about me being a girl, but I also got my period the next morning. So it definitely had to do with being, uh, well, our most, uh, honestly, our most stressful times is when we travel together and Hannah's about to get her period. That is the most stressful that it gets for us. And, uh, because I'm like, why are you so mad about (laughs) nothing? Well, I mean, but literally, you know, your progesterone drops, your estrogen drops, your testosterone drops, and then everything good in my life seems to vanquish, and all it is is darkness. I'm not arguing that it's not a trump that that it's not hard on you. I'm not saying that, but at the time, uh, it seems like to me, I'm just like, what is the problem here? (laughs) Everything is going fine. Like we stopped one time at this restaurant and had a steak dinner. I mean, it was a, a not a great restaurant. 
but it was we still had stakes. And then we get back in the car and we get into a fight and Hannah's like yelling at me about how we have to start eating better. And I'm like, you know, to some people in the world, we just had a steak dinner and you're mad at me about it. You know what I mean? And it's like, um, so, but that was very talented. I can really, no matter what the situation is, I can find a a great way of looking at it or a terrible way of looking at it. Right. I mean, our, our careers are going great. Our lives are going well. And, uh, you know, and Hannah can find a way to be like, this is all going bad. And, uh, well, but then, but then yeah, she recovers quickly. I do recover. I mean, it, yeah, I did recover basically, but everything that I feared was true. I didn't sleep all weekend. I was exhausted. I drove every day and I'm tired today. Well, so yeah. I well, was right about all those things. Yeah. But you know what? Uh, we do comedy. And yes, you're tired, but you know what? Everybody works and uh, everybody's tired. Yeah. Everybody's tired. Everybody's stressed. Everybody has nights where they don't get sleep, you know, so. You yeah, know. but a, a whole year of nights where they don't sleep and then have to drive well, you slept hours for, every week. You slept for 14 hours yesterday, I think. So. Yeah, because uh, so, I was tired. Yeah. So to, to say, you know, Monday morning, everybody here, everybody's going back to work. And you slept for 14 hours, and now you are got a blanket wrapped around you recording a podcast. You know what I mean? <laughs> Wearing your own T-shirt. I did recover, and that's the, that's, the, right. that's, the, that's the fascinating thing about Hannah Hogan is I can freak the F out, and then literally two hours later, I can be like, you know what? Things are great. Yeah. I've got a husband who loves me. I live in a home. I can eat food. I've, people like me. I'm booking. I've got all these things going on. I've right. got ideas. I've, mean, got a, I've got future. I've got the hope. I mean, this time last year, we were living in a 200-year-old house, a house that I miss, but we were living in a 200-year-old house with no uh, central heat and air conditioner. We had window units. We had rats in the house. We had uh, different kinds of insects. We had four other roommates. We had... Uh, yeah, a, why wasn't I depressed then? We had our, Well, you were. And we had oh. uh, a really creepy guy that lived in one of the rooms that we had a girl... We had a girl comic stay with us, and we put her in the spare room. And I got so freaked out that our creepy roommate was going to... Because the creepy roommate at the time had come to a comedy show and hung out with us. I liked him. He didn't get creepy until a point, but... I smoked some weed, and I started to get paranoid, and I thought he was going to attack her in the middle of the night. So well, I, 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 thought, went, I went up into the room, and I said, hey, lock your doors. And yeah. she's like, why? I said, because of our roommate. She's like, why did you let me sleep here if you thought that she your didn't roommate say that. was going to? She said it with her eyes. Yeah, but she was very nice. But, yeah, we were freaked out about it. So let's get to our segment, uh, my favorite segment, where we've been, where we're going. Where they going. Where they been. Where they going? Where, where they been? Where we're going? Where we've been? All right, that's a so good time. Right that is there. a good time. That's a that good, is a good song. time. So, and shout out to Matt Price again for putting that together for us. All right, so Hannah, where have you been? Well, uh, as I was just discussing, I uh, have been on the road. I uh, was in Lynchburg, Virginia on Friday night, and that was a breast cancer fundraiser. It was a corporate gig. And uh, it was something for uh, Laugh for the Cure. I worked with a gentleman named Sid Davis. Very nice guy. Who I had worked with before. And I had a good time. I had a a fun time. It was a good experiment. I had to basically work clean. And when I say basically, the jokes that didn't work were not clean. And I uh, quickly adjusted. 
Um, but it was fun, and uh, I was grateful for them having me there, and everybody was dressed up and looking pretty. Great. And then the next day, we both went to Charlotte, North Carolina, to the Comedy Zone, mm-hmm. and we did uh, a brunch show with Blair Nias. Yeah. And uh, it was great. Had a lot of fun people in there. Chris Buck, Ian Abner, um, just a few people. Uh, there were several people on the show, but, you know, those are some you know, people I know real well, and uh, uh, we had a good time. We did have a good time. And uh, it's, it is nice, you know, for me now, just, you know, going from city to city in the southeast, realizing how many American comics I am friends with. Yeah. And Kyle Kinane, who was headlining the weekend there in Charlotte, came to the brunch show uh, to watch. And yeah. uh, I had met Kyle earlier in the year at a comedy festival in Maquoketa, Iowa. Not earlier this year, last year. Maquoketa, Iowa, called the Turnbuckle Comedy Festival. It was a comedy festival where I drove to a small town in Iowa and called Maquoketa, and I like how you spelled it. There's no way for you to know how it's actually spelled, but it's... Anyway, so you drive to this small town, and then you ride down these country roads until it turns into a dirt road. You ride that dirt road into a field, and then a tractor picked you up from that field and carried you down to this barn where we did comedy. And I was headlining uh, one of many headliners, and uh, I was just doing my comedy. And then after I was done... There was uh, Nick Thune and Kyle Kinane right there, and they said, hey, man, great set. And I was like, wow, well, that's awesome. And so I met Kyle there, and he came to the brunch show to watch. And then we went and watched his show later that night, him and Chris Buck. And it's a very funny show. Mm-hmm. I recommend it. He's coming here in January to Zany's. I don't know the dates exactly, but I recommend that show. And then later that night, I did a show in Fort Mill, South Carolina at um, Life Point Church. I did a church. Uh, I did an hour of clean material, and uh, it was awesome. I had no idea I had that much. I mean, I never consider myself a dirty comic, but I like to consider myself fairly clean. And uh, not too clean, not too dirty, dusty. You know what I mean? And uh, I came up with that. Yes, you did. And uh, so we did that. It was really fun. I worked with Joel Byers. I had done his podcast uh, earlier this year called the Hot Breath Podcast. And uh, we had a really good time. Christopher Roop put that show on. He's a pastor there at the church, one of the pastors. And it was fun. I mean, I I don't really consider myself a church comic, uh, but I enjoyed doing that. And uh, I like it, you know, because I, I, as I've always said, I want to be able to entertain everyone. I want to be able to work all venues. So that was really fun. I uh, had a great time at the brunch show at the you Comedy Zone. You got a standing home. O, didn't you? I did. I did. And uh, You can't say that about yourself, but I... You told me that you got one. So yeah, everybody I did. needs to know. Dusty got a standing O. I did. It was really great. I enjoyed it. Mm. And Is everything uh, okay? Yeah, I think so. We this got thing, a new Garage Band system here. Yeah, it just seems like it's recording over something. But as long as it's recording over it and not adding that in, we're going to be fine. Should we stop and check? Nah, we're just going to go with it. All right. All right, so that is uh, where we've been. Now, where are we going? I'm going to New York tomorrow. That's why we're doing the podcast on Monday. I'm doing a showcase for True TV, uh, which is really fun. I don't know exactly what that means, but I'm flying up there. I'm going to stay with my buddy Evan Burke, and uh, we're going to hang out. Evan's moving to L.A. soon to take a big job, and I don't know if he wants me to say where, so I'm just saying he's moving to L.A., take a big job, and so... 
this might be my last chance to go hang out with him in New York. So I'm excited about that. Hopefully see him and a couple of other my buddies. Um, and But me and Hannah on Friday, Friday, September 28th, we're going to be in Hapeville, Georgia. H-A-P-E-ville, Hapeville, Georgia, uh, right outside of Atlanta at Arches Brewing Company. We'll be doing a show for uh, an organization called Serenity Steps, which is an organization that helps people that have been victims, uh, helps sex workers and victims of sex trafficking. It's an organization I've done. This will be my third time doing a show with them. I really like all the people there. Uh, The ticket prices are fairly expensive, but it's because – uh, it is to raise money for this organization. We'll do two shows, one at seven, one at nine. Great organization. I mean, uh, I, I, my understanding is that the, one of the guys has physically gone in and rescued people before. And uh, they're very good and they're, they're great people. And so, and me and Hannah are both going to do the shows. So one at seven, one at nine. I think the oh, there's t- two shows. There's eh? two shows. One of the show, one ticket that you can buy, you can buy a ticket for $30, which is just a flat ticket. And if you use the code FRIEND, uh, you'll get $6 off. So you can get a ticket for $24. Um, or you can pay $40 for a ticket and get two free beers. So if you plan on drinking, the $40 is probably the way to go. I get it if you can't I'll make it. I'll see you at the bar. I get it if you can't go because... It's pretty expensive, I mean, uh, but it's really worth it. I mean, it's going to be a really great comedy show because we're hilarious, and it's for a great organization. So please come. Yeah, and have some drinks. I've been drinking lately. Yeah, Hannah has been drinking lately. So that is where we've been, where we're going. And, uh, okay. So, um I'm having fun this podcast. Are you? If you had told me last Thursday that I would ever feel joy again, I mean, I wouldn't have believed you, Dusty, but look at that. Look at us. Four days later, and I'm just back to same old Hannah. Well, I want to give a shout out to a couple of fan mail people. There's a guy named Nolan. He wrote uh, an email to me last night, and he said he called his subject line is some dang fan mail. And I love that. He wrote a fairly long uh, email and I won't read all of it, but he had seen a few shows and uh, his uh, girlfriend. He's from California, but he moved to Nashville, and his girlfriend is Canadian, who lives in Edmonton, Alberta. So he really relates uh, to 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 our experience as international dating couple. I mean, I dare you to find an American man that doesn't think Canadian women are great. Yeah. Uh, all I ever hear is like, Canadian girls are nice. Canadian girls are pretty. And you know what? Y'all are right. Also, this guy, Nolan, quit drinking three years ago. Wow. Who and, is he? Um, Dusty Light? Yeah. and uh, I bet he just started comedy, too. And eh? he's about to start comedy. He's growing out his hair, wearing sunglasses he's from gonna, the 80s. He's going to take some improv classes. Um He's really enjoyed the advice that we give out on pod, on the podcast, and uh, you know, and he's been to my grand old comedy show at Zanies. And I just want to say thank you, Nolan, for all your support. Thank you for the email. And um, and I like we, how you gla- you gave the cliff notes of his email. Yeah, well, and then we have uh, Brock Trotter, who we'd already given a shout out to. I sent him some stuff. He sent us a thank you email. So thank you, Brock. And then. 
I don't know if I should read people's first and last name, but we have one from Catherine. She left us a review. She said that uh, she saw me when I opened for Theo Vaughn. Uh, me and Hannah were both on those shows. She lives in Alaska. Yeah, she didn't have much to say about me on those shows. <laughs> she lives in Alaska. She just left a review. I wanted to say thank you for that five-star review. And this is the kind of review I'm talking about. This is a very simple review. This is all we're asking. Give us a rating of five stars. You don't have to give us a rating of five stars. I don't know that I'm even allowed to tell you to give me a five-star review. but You are. This is America. But if you don't feel strongly enough that our podcast diverse, deserves five stars, then maybe just don't give it and a rating. And stop listening. Right, right. And she says, love it. Always excited to see a new episode of your podcast come up. So thank you, Catherine. Very simple, but very helpful. This one is from a guy named Cody. Wait, we should save these. We should we should just read one a week, not all of them all at one time. Well, I'm I'm already committed now, so oh. I'm reading them. This is the last one. This is from Cody, and um, uh, he's found us both about a month back, and he's going to come to the Hapeville show. Oh, great! Uh, and he writes this. See you at the bar, Cody. He left this review, and this was this is my favorite review. And I'm going to highlight as I get to it the line that I enjoy the most. He says, "Dusty Slay is a blue collar comic for the rest of us. He relates to the Southern millennial, and this is the part that I love. He relates to the Southern millennial who might be too hip to be country and too country to be hip." He, along with his, with the fantastic Hannah Hogan, present a fine podcast that's just a good time. Now, that line, who might be too hip to be country and too country to be hip, might be the greatest description that I've ever heard of me. Yeah, I think that that's going to be uh, going on your website somewhere. We're going to need to get that guy to be writing content for you. And I think, I mean, I just think that that's so true. I never, I, I never, I never knew those words to say, but I couldn't think of a better description for me yeah. than that because I'm going to tell you. I mean, growing up, I mean, I was never like the popular redneck. You know what I mean? Like I didn't hunt the best, I didn't fish the best. I, you know what I mean? But you didn't I didn't have I, the best clothes. But I was doing all those things. But con- con- conversely, uh, yeah. In my school, which was a very hip school, lots of black people at my school. We had a very hip school, and I wasn't – I didn't have the cool clothes. I mean, I made it all work, and I managed to still be a cool person, but no one uh, was like, man, that dude is hip right there. You know what I mean? The country kids weren't like, here's a real country guy, and the hip kids weren't like, here's a real hip guy. But I fell somewhere in between. Love that description. Really enjoy it. The moment that I read it, it brought a lot of joy to my face. That's nice. It is nice. And uh, so that's that. Uh, so thank you guys for those reviews, for that fan mail. We appreciate it. We always appreciate it. Another person named Molly uh, reached out to us uh, about uh, seeing me on Satellite Radio. She sent me an email. I just wanted to say thank you for that. Uh, we encourage reviews. Um, and um, now... Let's talk. Oh, you know what? Uh, we forgot to do this. Let's give a shout out to our, our uh, my friend, Joe Denham. Joe Denham just did my show, uh, the Grand Ole Comedy Show at Zany's last Thursday, which was an incredible show. Thank you all who came out. We're doing another one October 17th. I hope to see you there. The show gets better and better all the time. I'm going to have uh, you know uh, a new lineup every time. I'm trying to bring the best comics that you don't know 
to that stage as well as doing a lot of time. I probably it was probably a two hour show. I did forty five minutes to an hour of comedy, and I will do that every time. That's my goal: is to do lots of comedy, bring lots of new jokes, also bring you comics that you don't know for a super low price. Uh, probably be ten dollars still, but who knows? I don't want to say that because you never know; could be going up. Uh, better get in while it's hot. See you at the bar. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You know? I'm sorry. I'm taking over, but I'm going to let you join in here because now we're getting to... But, oh, I want to shout out Joe Denham. He wrote that new intro song for us, which we think is really fantastic. Joe came over to the house. We wrote those lyrics, and Joe put it together, and I think it's I think it's really great. It's a song you heard at the beginning, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So... Now let's get to the food on the road portion. This is a new segment that I like because we talk about, you know, the places that we eat while we're out on the road. Well, <laughs> yeah. While we were in Charlotte, we went to a place called Pinky's uh, Western Grill. Sure. And on recommendation, it was good hamburgers. We I enjoyed it. Uh, Hannah had some mixed reactions, but I enjoyed the restaurant. I found it. I felt like that you had to have tattoos and piercings to work there. I felt like that you couldn't, you couldn't do it. Like you know, like there was one girl who didn't seem to have any tattoos. She just had the one piercing in her nose, like you would, you know, like you would pierce to a bull to uh, lead it around a pasture. Yeah, they have it's those, called like a septum. Yeah, something like that. Like you would see like depictions of Satan in in the past <laughs> with that kind of thing. A lot of people have that now, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not hating on it, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean. And uh, she had that, but no tattoos. But I felt like she was like new. I feel like your way to move up there at Pinkies is to get more tattoos because the bartender she had some face tattoos. So I feel like once you get to bartender status, you have to. There was a couple waiters that had face tattoos. Yeah, white people with face tattoos. Yeah. They're too hip to be relatable to me. Yeah. Yeah, they're too hip. Yeah. So hip that they're not hip at all. Yeah, you know I mean, what I like, mean? Like, I'm like, nah. Well, I mean, rappers, it's become a big thing with rappers to get face tattoos now. And uh, that guy, Machine Gun Kelly, his diss track to Eminem in that video, he has like his shirt off and his whole torso and arms is tattooed up. Mm. This seems crazy to me. As a person with no tattoos, it seems crazy to me. But... They say they're addictive. You get one, you want more. Mm, just like kids. Yeah. Just like kids, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had, uh, let's see, yesterday uh, we pulled off. We were, we, okay, we were both driving home from Charlotte, but we were, we had our own cars, so we weren't in the car together. Dusty had his car driving home from Charlotte. I had my car driving home from Charlotte. And there was, and we didn't, we told, I told her that I didn't want to try to like ride along together. That's just too stressful. He gets sick of me. Now I just, I don't want to try to drive along together and worry about where she's at the entire time. I was like, let's just drive. And, but it, I had stopped like three times yesterday. I, I drive really fast and really aggressive. And I left probably 10 or 15 minutes before Hannah, but I had to stop like three times. So at one point I'm driving down the road, the interstate, and I just come up on Hannah. And it was, it made me so happy. We saw each other. We wait. We gave each other the wave. It was in Knoxville. Yeah. We just, uh, was it Knoxville? Yeah. When we just saw each other and it was like, it was like, oh man, here we are. You and were, you were coming up from behind me. Yeah. And we had a good time. Yeah. And, uh, and then, so we stopped 
And we tried to go. We were going to go to this barbecue place that we had been before, but they were closed. And then we tried to go to a Chinese restaurant. It looks like they were shut down. So we found a pretty popular Mexican restaurant in the town. Now, I say popular because the parking lot was packed. So we go in there, and uh, we order. And we're sitting down, and we're eating. And then I get halfway through my through my uh, ground beef uh, enchilada when I notice that like good portion of that ground beef is not cooked. And so I just stopped eating it. <laughs> and Dusty had pointed that out to me about his, and I had already secretly noted within my taco seconds before that my ground beef and my taco was also not cooked. But I don't know, maybe I'm dimmer than I thought, but I just sort of kept eating it. Yeah, so she ate it, and I stopped eating it. And then we finished off our meals, you know, I mean, because it was tasty, but it made us, immediately it made us feel sick. So we left, and then I started getting terrible heartburn. I already have heartburn all the time anyway, but I started getting terrible heartburn. And then we got home, and Hannah felt fine. And... Well, we got home. I felt fine, and you also felt fine, but you also felt hungry. You wanted to eat more things. You're like, let's get a pizza. I'm like, what is this life that we're living? Like, we can't just keep eating like this. Well, that's just, again, it goes back to the early thing about the steak. Like, it's like, we're not eating that bad. I mean, we had just some tacos. Like, it wasn't even like we had a lot. There wasn't a ton of cheese on it. We had a burger the day before with fries. I had a couple beers. Uh, we, yeah, so you dr- want to be an alcoholic and <laughs> I can't have a pizza now. You well, know? but okay. we had already eaten poorly. What we needed was a salad or some juice. No, nah, I mean, I was well, fine. Let's find out how the end of the story well, goes. I'm going to tell we'll you. We'll see who's right. We'll, we'll see who the fans think is right. Well, on this we'll one. see who's right by the end of it because the part you think is the end is not the end. Oh, so I took a shower and, uh, and I started getting real bad heartburn in the shower. And then I got out of the shower and I threw up twice in the toilet. I haven't thrown up. In a long time, and I threw up. Yeah, uh, and this was all unbeknownst to me because I went to the gym. Hannah was at the gym, and I was at home throwing up. And, and then I come home. I'm like, okay, I'm going to jump in the shower. I see Dusty in the kitchen cooking chicken, and he's just casually cooking chicken and you know, hanging out at home the way he does, which is like no shirt on. And then so I'm just kind of milling about, taking off my old sweaty clothes, and Dusty's like, yeah, so I threw up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I threw up. I threw up in the in the toilet. Uh, I showered and then I threw up. I'm like, I didn't even know you didn't feel well. Like, yeah. Well, I didn't <laughs> particularly feel bad. I just had heartburn and then it got so severe that I just I just threw up. But I I think that my body just noticed that I had some bad stuff in there and it just got rid of it. And I feel thankful because I've had well. All right, let me finish the story though. I cooked a steak. And some chicken, and I ate a New York strip and a chicken leg last night, and uh, felt pretty good about it. Yeah, and uh, the, all, all Kyle Kinane talking about him having gout has not deterred you from. I don't even know what gout is, but I don't either. But it seems to seems to be about eating too much meat. Well, I don't think it is. Well, I think that that is what it is. Okay. Well, all right. You don't know what it is, but you think it's about eating meat. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that I feel great today. After eating good meat, I feel great. All right, so where's this twist in the story? Because I want to hear the end. That's the twist. The twist is that in the end, I had a steak. (laughs) That's the end. Oh, okay. So that proves that you're good because you ate steak? Yeah, and I felt great after that. I had bad, my stomach felt really bad, and then I ate a steak, and I felt great. Yeah. 
Well, you know what? You know, you must have because I don't even remember you eating a steak. I went to the gym and then I passed out. Yeah. I I think that there's a lot of – this is what I think. People go eat hamburgers and then they feel bad and they go, you got to stop eating all that red meat, right? Well, maybe you need to stop eating that terrible bread that the hamburger is on. That's the problem. It's the bread. It's the fries. It's the high fructose corn syrup ketchup. That's the problem with everything. It's not that meat. Meat is delicious. But I have gotten food poisoning before in the past, and it is awful. I'd like to tell a little story. Go ahead, Dusty. Uh, I don't want to say the restaurant because I eat there all the time. And I think if I got the food poisoning from that place, it wasn't their fault, and uh, it was a fluke. But I eat there all the time. So this this is what I want to tell. I want to lay this out real quick. I used to work sell pesticides, and I sold in the Myrtle Beach area as well. I had these four areas. I had, you know, like South Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach, North Myrtle Beach, and then Shalote, North Carolina. And then after Shalote, there was Wilmington, North Carolina, and I had submitted to a comedy festival in Wilmington. I was going to do a comedy competition, and I had just won something in Charleston, so I felt pretty good. I felt pumped. So I was like, I'm going to go do this. So I – maybe I hadn't won the thing in Charleston yet. Detail that doesn't make any difference. So I ate my food that morning, and then I got to my South Myrtle Beach store. By the time I got to South Myrtle Beach, two-hour drive, I felt very sick. My stomach felt swollen. I got there, immediately went to the bathroom, right? And I was trying to throw up, but I couldn't throw up, right? So then I I clocked in, went to the bathroom, spent my entire time in the bathroom, clocked out, left the store, went to Myrtle Beach, clocked in, went to the bathroom, clocked out, went to North Myrtle Beach, clocked in, went to the bathroom. Was there anything going on or was it just you? Well, I don't want to get too detailed, but let's just say the main thing I needed to happen was throwing up and that wasn't happening. Other things were happening, but not throwing up. You know what I mean? And my stomach continued to swell. Even though I was getting rid of things, my stomach continued to swell. And it felt big and hard. And so then I got to my fourth store in Shalote, and I kept every time I would grab one of those orange buckets from Home Depot, you know, the orange, and I would take it into the bathroom. So I did four Home Depot. I did four Home Depots that day. I clocked into four stores. I did zero work. All I did was sit in the bathroom the whole time. I felt terrible. So then on the last store, when I left Shalote, I was heading on up to Wilmington. Now, I had gotten uh, an Airbnb, which I had not an Airbnb, couch surfing, which I had never done. I set up a couch surfing thing. I had never done that. So I was going to stay with someone, and my stomach was super swollen. And I got a Sprite because I thought, you know what? What I need is to burp. If I could just burp and relieve some of this pressure, I'd be fine. So I'm, I'm headed up to Wilmington, and I'm on the interstate, and uh, I hit the standstill traffic, right? And I'm in the right lane, and I'm drinking that Sprite, and all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, here comes the burp. And <coughs> I'm like, here comes the burp. And, and, uh, and then the burp comes. But it is projectile vomit. And I spewed into the windshield of my car, (laughs) all over the dash of my car. I pulled over. Now, we're in standstill traffic. There's cars all around me. I pull off to the shoulder. I get out. I'm throwing up. It's just (laughs) spewing out of me as I'm running around the car. And then, I mean, just, I just want to be one of those other cars to just see that happening. Oh, my goodness. And then I, 
ended up throwing up and I had no towels in there. All I had was my favorite shirt. And I, <laughs> of course. And I just course. used it to clean up the best I could. And then I. It's so nasty. So I ended up getting a hotel because I didn't, I was like, I can't couch surf. Uh, to someone's house. I got a hotel. But I didn't get the hotel before the comedy thing. I just kind of cleaned up in a bathroom of a gas station and I changed clothes. And then I went in and I felt so sick that I drew, I drew, in the contest, I drew, we drew numbers and I drew like number five of 10 people. And I was like, it's like the perfect position. But I traded for number one so I could do my set and get out of there. And I left. And went to my hotel. And then the next day I had to get up. Are you eating at Tom's right now? Yeah. <laughs> and the next day I had to drive to Annapolis, Maryland to do a comedy festival. I did a comedy show on a boat. And it was just awful. And so for the next... So my, my car smelled so bad. Already, since I used to sell pesticides, when a bottle would break or something... We could write it off at the store, and the store would ask us to get rid of it. So what I would usually do is get pesticides and just give them to my friends that owned homes. And But I usually had a lot of pesticides in my trunk. So you usually had that smell coming in. And then now there was this fresh throw-up smell. And uh, the people that I was doing the show with in Annapolis lived in New York, and they asked would I drive them to Baltimore to go to the bus stop. And I was like, yeah, I'll drive you, but... It ain't going to be a fun ride. And we all piled up in the car. It smelled so bad. The next few weeks, I got bacon soda, and I just put bacon soda on the dash to try to, like, suck up the smell. I just poured it all up in there just to try to soak up that smell. It was so bad. that that So food poisoning could be terrible. So what I'm saying is I'm thankful that I just threw up a couple of times yesterday and just got that out because food poisoning is death. Well, that's the first time I've heard that story. Is it? Yeah. And that's remarkable. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot. I mean, have you ever seen the movie How High with Method Man and Red Man? <laughs> no. Well, there's a scene in that movie. That's a great movie, by the way. Very underrated. It was super funny. And... uh there's a scene in that where, where Method Meth Man is like some kind of weed scientist at some point in that. And he's created this truth serum that he gives people and they start telling the truth. But the side effect is that they projectile vomit. And there's a little Asian guy in that's their roommate. And he vomits after eating the truth serum. And it's so comically gross. But that's what I imagine it looked like. Meath. I've never thrown up like that. It was the most powerful throw up I had ever had. It's a very descriptive word or phrase. Projectile vomit. It's you un- instantly know what you're what you're saying. Yeah, I don't like to talk about bowel movements or throw up. I just think it's gross, and I don't like talking about it. But it was so unbelievably. Uh, it's just unreal that I have to tell people from. But time to, to imagine time. you projectile vomiting into the windshield. In your when you're sitting in your car, you have to imagine the splatter that would come back at you. I had to clean the windshield off in order to continue driving. Yeah, and the vents you have these vents on your dash where, like, if you turn on the heater or whatever, the defroster, the stuff will come from there. The air will come from there. Throw up was down in oh, there. Oh yeah. I mean yeah. I mean it. That poor car. 
Uh, I always trash that car. I had a 2008 Dodge Avenger. I always trash it, but man, I flooded that car. I wrecked it several times. I threw up in there. I mean, that car went through it. That Mm -hmm. car went through it. Rest in peace. Yes, that poor car. Yeah, I mean... But, so you're going to have that out there on the road, too. You're going to have that. I never felt more attracted to you. And uh, I just uh, made a little story on Instagram about loves. It didn't turn out as good as I want because one thing didn't film the way I thought it would, but I have that. Uh, Loves. Loves is still the best gas station out there. The best truck stop, best gas station. They're not even a sponsor, but I love them. Love Loves. And uh, so with that in mind, I'd like to, we now we want to do to our comedy advice portion, we want to talk about producing a comedy show. Yeah. And uh, since I've been talking a lot, I'm going to let you go, If I'm going to let you go first. Uh, well, I think you have more authority to say what is good and no, bad because well, with, you are more successful than me. No, no, no. With our comedy advice section, again, as I always say. If you know how to do these things, you know how to do them. If you're running a show and you're running it a successful way, it doesn't matter if I think that's the way to do it or not. Uh, But if you're unfamiliar with putting a comedy show together, I just want to kind of give some some thoughts on how to do that in a good way, how to make a show successful. All right. Well, I've done I've produced a lot of different shows in Toronto, and then I've produced a few in Nashville. I have obviously been doing comedy a long time. Um, yeah, I think the most common mistake that I see people make when they're producing shows is they put too many people on a lineup. Agreed. Agreed. And I think that a lot of times the reason people do that is they'll put a bunch of people on the lineup because they think, well, if this person brings 10 people, this person brings 10 people, then I have 10 people on the show. We got a hundred people here. I think that if you're producing a comedy show, It's your job to get the audience there. You can't produce a comedy show in hopes that the other comics will bring people. You have to produce a comedy show, and it's your job to get the audience there. And then the comics that you book is just you you, you bring people that are going to entertain that audience. So I think you're right, and I think that the classic comedy club way of doing things is you have a host that does 10 or 15 minutes – You have a feature that does 20 to 30 minutes, and then you have a headliner that does 45 to an hour. You have a 90-minute comedy show. That's the classic way. So I think the closest that you can get to that with any comedy show that you put together is is best, even if you're doing a showcase. Host comes out, does 5 to 10 minutes. But that host, if you're producing the show and you are the host – your job is to be funny. Your job is to get that audience on board. Now, my own show, sometimes my hosting, my first set is kind of weak. So, But you know what? The show always ends well because I have a plan. I have a plan with my show. So if you're going to divert from the classic standards, have a plan. But I think do five or ten minutes. Be funny. Get the audience laughing. Get them used to it. Also, give the audience instructions. Letting them know. Don't text. Don't record. Don't heckle, you know, make that first five to ten minutes informative and also funny. I think the first comic is very underrated. I think your first comic on stage should be funny. There's never a way to guarantee it. But you put somebody up that you know is going to be funny and strong. That way, 
the audience is like, okay, we saw the host be funny. Now the first guy's funny. We're on board. We're in here. Then if you have weaker people on the lineup, you know, then you can throw them in there. And I don't mean weaker. I mean newer, inexperienced. You can put them up because now hopefully you've put them in a good position to be successful. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, if the audience is having a good time the first 20 minutes of a show, everyone else's work is cut out for them. Right. If they're in a good mood, it's your it's your set to fail. I mean, you know, it's it's sort of like if 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 you got a good host and then you have a good feature, I mean, obviously the headliner's good. It's going to be a great show, you know, so it's you, a lot of people, I think, think, oh, they're giving me the bullet. I'm going up first. I mean, if the producer knows what they're doing, they should be putting someone strong up first. Right. And so you go up there and you do your thing, you know? Right. Exactly. And then, you know, I like to, if you have anyone dirty, I mean, I like to push uh, a dirtier comic more towards the end because, or at least, you know, if you ha- don't put cleaner comics after the dirtier comics because the dirtier comics will push it to a place which it's fine. I'm not telling you to do clean shows. You do whatever you want to do. But just positioning, putting the cleaner people towards the beginning and the dirtier people towards the end is better just for that sense of – because a cleaner person might have what they consider an edgy joke, but it's not going to be edgy after they've already heard something super filthy. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that you know also time. Like if the host does five or ten, maybe your first person does five. If you have new people, don't be afraid to give them less time. And then your more experienced people give them more time. I see a lot of showcases where they'll have some really great comic doing the same amount of time as a brand new comic. And brand new comics need stage time. So it's important to put them on these shows, but you don't need to give them the same amount of time as a comic that you know is going to crush. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you agree with these things? I do agree. And, you know, sometimes comics will ask me or producers or something will ask me like how much time can you do and I almost always lie about how much I can do you know so if you leave it up to the comics to tell you how much time they want to do they could very well lie they could be like I can do 15 but they can only do eight so you have to have you have to be smart and and if, especially if you've seen that comic before, be like, do I think they can do eight? Because I've seen them do 10 and it kind of falters off. So really be honest with yourself and say, okay, I'll give them five. If they crush five, then the next show I put them on, I'm going to give them 10. Right, because a lot of times newer comics want to do more time because they think that it shows that they are better than they are. But I think that uh, it's better to show uh, producers and audience that you can do well even with a short amount of time, than to show a mediocre set with a long amount of time. Like if you have 10 minutes mediocre but five strong, just say I can do five and then crush it with that set and then it leaves a good impression. Mm -hmm. Most people won't even think about how much time you did, but they'll think about how well you did. Yeah. Another thing for producing shows, just uh, logistically dealing with other biz- with the business, the venue, is it is really important to, to ha- establish a good relationship with, with the venue. Because if the venue and you are not communicating properly, it can all really go downhill real fast. You know, you know, make sure that the venue understands that TVs cannot be on in the same room as a comedy show. You know, if the venue really wants to have comedy, they should pay you. I mean, there's a lot of people that do shows for free, 
And I mean, in a way, I guess I understand if you're brand new and you just want stage time, but you're going to feel better about the show you're putting on and the venue is going to be more invested in the show. If they're giving you a little bit of kickback, if they're giving yeah. you, you know, 50 bucks every time you put on a show. And and honestly, charging a cover is not a bad idea either, even if it's a small amount. If you charge $5, it at least shows some sort of investment for the show. That way people can't just wander in and go, oh, this is stupid, and then not listen. If they've had to pay $5, at least they've paid something. Yeah. And they've invested now. Yeah, you definitely have to add value to your show. And um, and also that will allow you to pay the comics. If you're able to give the comics a little bit of money, then you're going to be able to get better comics. Yeah, and I'm a big believer in like top-down management. So if you are producing the show and you book these comics and maybe you get a DJ or someone to help you with selling tickets or the way that you communicate with your comics leading up to the show up until right before they go on stage and your amount of professionalism that you treat the show is going to fall off onto the comics too. So if you reach out to the comic two weeks before and remind them that you're excited to have them on the show, tell them how much time they're doing, you know, give them some friendly encouragement to shout it out on social media and, you know, and then when they come to the show, you give them a little chat before the show. This is what's happening. This is when you're going to go on. Here's the lineup. The more organized you are as a producer and the more serious you're, you're taking your own show, the more serious the comics will, too. Right. And if you have, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with talking about content restrictions, right? Now, some people get really sensitive about it. But in my own show, I, I don't ask people to be clean. But I ask people to not get out of hand with it because what can happen? I mean, because nobody uh, is really that bothered by some F-bombs or by, you know, some sexual content. But when it gets graphic and you drop an F-bomb every other word, it can be real turn off to audience members. And my, my thing that I think about is if a person leaves your show and says, man, that was really great, I'm going to tell my friends – then your audience can grow. But if people are leaving your show going, that was awful, I'll never be back, then they're going to tell people how bad it is, and then you're never going to grow the audience. So, you know, thinking about that sort of thing is important to me. And then also, so don't be afraid to be like, listen, I just want to, you know, keep it within reason, you know, and and, and that's, you know, and, and also, I think people are very turned off to politics. So unless your show is a political show, then maybe try to steer away from that too. That's just my own personal advice. I think that is more of a personal. It is, but I'm sharing it. Yeah. And, uh, but I think that, yeah, I mean, if you have a show that's heavy political comedy, maybe say, hey, we're going to have a lot of political jokes. That lets people know that, hey, I like this kind of, because a lot of people like Jon Stewart. They like The Daily Show. They like all that. So if you like it, that could be right up your alley, you know? Granted, none of the comics you have on your show are going to be as good as Jon Stewart, but, uh, the uh, he's the best at it, and, and uh, but the um, also just just setup wise, if you can get a stage, great. Sometimes you can do it on the floor and it's fine, but if you can get a stage, awesome. Sound system very important. Try to not do an outside comedy show, and yes, no TVs. Try to have lighting on the stage. Anything you can do to make that show look as much like a comedy club as possible is the way to go. Don't have seats. Like if, if it's table seating, try to sit the seats so that no one's back is to the audience. You know how right. sometimes at tables, you know, you're just facing a certain way. So your back is to the audience. So 
they're uncomfortable the whole show because they're kind of having to crick their neck. If you set up the the seats or the tables in such a way uh, so that everyone can easily face the stage. Yeah, and, and that goes back to talking to the venue. Is that if you have to rearrange the tables just for that couple hours, then that's a discussion you should have. And seats as close to the stage as possible. The more space that you have in between the stage and the seats, the worse it is. I mean, that's there's a comedy club in uh, the the UP that's like that. There's a huge. They just they added tables the last time, but before that, there was a huge gap of a dance floor in between you and the first table, and all the shows were bad. They added some tables on that dance floor, and the shows improved immensely. So that's important. And yes, talking to the venue, like you said, is so important because if the venue is like, yeah, we got a stupid comedy show later, then that it's not going to be good. Because look at it at the venue's point of view. If they give you, if they give you uh, uh, their stage, but they're not paying you, right? They, they're obviously just putting on a comedy show because they're hoping you're going to bring in people that are going to buy booze. So the venue wins. If the venue isn't paying you for anything, then the venue's just like, maybe we'll make a couple extra hundred dollars off of booze sales. And if they're making money, you should make money. Yeah, and so if you're not charging at the door or if they're not giving you 50 bucks to set up a show every night or however much money it is, they're just taking advantage of you and they, they have no incentive to help promote the show, to make it easier for you. You know, to to have a good attitude to the patrons. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I've done shows and the bartenders or the the people owning the bar are rude are rude to the comics are you know just have a bad attitude coming into this that's not what you want you want anyone coming into that venue for that comedy show to be treated well and so if the venue just feels like comedy is a nuisance that's the way that everyone's going to feel while they're there and like that energy comes down to everybody and if you can get your own comedy show at the local comedy club to whatever town you live in that's the best that's what I have. I have a show at Zany's, and it's the best because they have so many of those things have already been eliminated. So many of those problems, and you're contributing to helping your scene by helping produce stuff at the comedy club. Because at the end of the day, comedy clubs. If you want to be a comedian, comedy clubs is what you want to be doing because that's where you're going to make money. So you get experience working at a comedy club, and you're helping build that scene as opposed to building more of an alternative scene, which can be fine. But, you know, I mean, getting more people to the comedy club is the way to go. Now, I know sometimes you have comedy club owners that aren't as willing to work with you, but a lot of times you do. Zanies is is great at working with me and helping me to put on a good show. And so if you can do that in your town, do that. Because it provides a service not only to the community, but also to the club. Yeah. You know? Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm, I'm, and yeah, and, and also someone said this to me recently, and I think that this is really funny and smart. Um, you know, within every comedy community, there's cliques. There's people you like. There's people you don't like. There's people that don't like you. Um, but what I think notice, and I think I notice it a lot more on a small in a smaller scene because there's less of us here, is... You know, some bookers don't book people because they personally don't like them. But the the person they personally don't like is good at comedy. So instead of just putting someone on a show and knowing they're going to do a good job and knowing they're going to make their audience have a good time, they book one of their friends who's terrible at comedy and who isn't going to give the audience a good time. 
you know, so, and I mean, this is just a personal thing, I guess, or, or don't or, let your, like, is, I mean, if the person did something egregiously terrible to you, obviously don't put them on your show. But if you have some sort of like, if you're jealous of them, or if you're, I don't know, they're just not to your taste, but you know, they do well nine times out of 10 in front of a con and you l- live in a small town and there's only like 20 people that you can ever book on a show, but you're deciding to not book this person because you have a personal vendetta against this them. sounds very specific. No, but I'm no, I'm not even talking about a personal thing that happened to me. Someone was telling me that, about like something that had happened to them and 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 he was just saying he's like, you know, I just don't understand why they wouldn't put put so and so on their show and he's and I thought, well, it's cuz they don't like them. And I and I don't know, I just think, you know, well, let your personal you. grievances go to the side. If you want to put on a good show, put the best comics on the show. I you know, agree with you. Don't just not put someone on a show because, you know, you don't want to see them succeed. I mean, you want to see your show succeed, and you're going to do that if you put good people on a show, not just your friends who aren't good. I agree 100% because it's professionalism is what it is. It's, yeah. It's, it's making sure that you have a good show. Now, there are people on scenes who will say what you've just said. And say the reason they don't get booked is because of some vendetta the person has against them. When in reality, a lot of times, people are delusional about how good they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think, and that probably happens way more. People think that they're better than they are. But because, if, but I'll just say this. I've put people on shows that I'm not close friends with or that I even maybe think don't like me or or something like that. But I'll put them on a show and give them the amount of time that I think that they can do. Not, you know, not to make myself feel better that I, I you know, rised up. But because I'm like, you know what, there's only so many people in this city I can put on a show. So, right. you know, be honest with yourself about... Uh, how, good you are. how good you are, how good your lineup is. And if this person, even though you don't particularly like, you know, they're the, the way they've, they said something weird to you one day, you know, put them on a show, you know, be honest with yourself. Yes. About how good you are both ways. Some people are far too critical of themselves. Some people will be like, I'm not good. I'm not good. Don't, don't beat yourself up, but also know whether you're getting laughs and it's, it's only for your own well-being, if you're going up and you're not getting a lot of laughs, be honest with yourself about it so that you can improve and get better. Because lying to yourself and telling yourself that you're better than you are is not going to help you get any better. There's no there's no real metrics with comedy like there is with sports. I mean, if you're not running the mile in a certain amount of time, that's easily timed and you go, well, I got to run faster. I got to train harder. It's the same with comedy, except that the, the judgment metrics aren't there. You have, to, uh, you have to be honest with yourself. Am I getting the laughs that I need to be getting? And if I'm not, I got to improve. The other thing is, if no one's booking you in a scene, it's probably you. That's and true. If you're super funny and they're still not booking you, you probably have a really bad attitude and you should go to therapy. And if you're not getting booked at the local club uh, and you're mad about it, then... This is what I say. Try to get booked at other clubs outside of town. And then when you email your local club, you can say, hey, these are the other places I'm being booked at right now. I'd love to work this club. I mean, getting mad at the booker will only harm you. I've done it, and it only harms you. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And, I mean, it kind of goes back to – I don't know why you you keep pointing at – I'm pointing pointing at at the time. But what's going to happen? Well, I don't know. I just, oh, okay. I just try to keep it within it. Oh, hour. okay. I, I guess I didn't understand. You kept pointing at the screen. I can't really and see. And then I was holding up numbers. I know. It. I'm just like, I don't understand what you're saying. 
Um, it's like what I, what, how I had kind of a breakdown on Thursday and I just, everything about my life seemed to suck. Every negative thing I could possibly think about myself and my comedy just seemed to infiltrate my mind. Um, and then over the course of the next few days, it just, you know, just kind of passed, you know, so the way you look at yourself and the way that, you know, you see your life, you can change that. You can, you can say, okay, I could look at it this way. Um, no one's booking me. I'm terrible. And, uh, I'm not getting any laughs. Or you could say, you know what, this is a great opportunity for me to stop drinking as much, uh, to start going to the gym, to read self-help books, to try to write every day for 30 minutes. And then, and you, and use that kind of rock bottom to switch things around, you know? So, you know, we've all been in spots where we need, we know we need to change things and, uh, Attitude is everything, and people can feel your attitude. And it's it's not, and just in life in general, you know what I mean. It's just not. It's not too late to do things. It's never too late to do things, right? Like I grew up really skinny, right? I was always super skinny, and then in my twenties, I discovered fried seafood, which is delicious, and I uh, really got into drinking, and I got fat, and I just at one point I had just decided. Well, this is what I am now. I'm just a fat dude. I'm going to be fat now. And then uh, I got to a place where I just didn't want to live like that, so I quit drinking, and I lost the weight. You know what I mean? In my 20s, I decided that I would just be fat now, and then in my 30s, I lost the weight. And I'm not saying that it's the same for everyone. I'm not saying that your struggle is easy. I'm not saying anything. But just in general, it's not too late, you know? Like I read this thing the other day. It's like if you're like, oh, it's too late for me to start playing guitar. You look back 10 years from now and you go, man, if I had started playing guitar when I said it was too late, I would probably be pretty good at playing guitar right now. You know, and it's like those are the things. It's never too late. And and comedy works differently for, for a lot of people. Some people started doing comedy really young and, and, and you know, so they got way ahead of you. But. To me, comedy is all about life experience. I mean, if you're not having experiences in life, then you don't have stuff to write about. So you got to get out and do stuff. Like, you know, my power went out the other day, and I was pretty upset about it. One, I felt a little, uh, I don't know, I just felt like somehow that I was uh, uh, i was letting my wife down and letting myself down by letting the power go out. But I ended up with a pretty good bit out of it that's really funny and working well for me now. So it's like, you know, you got to be looking around for those things, you know? Yeah, and you felt a little embarrassed right, in, that's the word. towards yes. me. And I, I honestly didn't care. So it was all in your head, yeah. you know, that, that that was something to be worried or ashamed about. I, I mean, it wasn't like I didn't care that we didn't have electricity, but I wasn't like, oh, my gosh, upset or... I don't know, ashamed right. or anything like that. I'm past that now, but yes. But I mean, I'm just saying that that bad thing, seemingly bad thing that happened. Turned into a great thing. Turned into a good comedy bit. Yeah. That I'm going to be able to capitalize on. And that's what you want to look for. All these bad things that are happening. If you're if you decided to be a comic and then a lot of bad things that start happening to you, maybe that's material. Absolutely. And it's not too late to change your attitude. You know, when I was like... When I was 23, I booked TV shows. I was on a national Canadian TV show. And then I uh, felt like, you know, the writers weren't writing for me. So I was all bummed out. So I started doing stand-up. But I kind of came into the scene as this kind of cocky 25-year-old or whatever, thinking I was hilarious and whatever. For numerous reasons, I had a pretty bad attitude. 
and I felt like no one liked me and probably a handful of people didn't, you know, but I really started to realize that, that my attitude was a problem, you know, and I was getting into fights with a lot of guy standups and stuff like that. And at some point I just made a decision to, 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 to start trying to be friendly to people and also be friendlier to myself. And then it didn't happen overnight, but slowly my whole attitude changed and my whole energy changed and I became more friends with people. And, you know, people forgive you. People notice changes. And, and I don't know, I just think it's important for people to know that. Yes. And if you worked at Hyman's with me, or if you've ever worked at Hyman's, you'll probably hate that I'm about to read this. But... Hyman's motto was always attitude is everything, right? Now, at least that was the, you know, and I I enjoyed it. I I like Eli Hyman, and uh, this was a quote that they used to have around there. It's by Chuck Swindoll. Do you mind if I read this? I would enjoy it so much. it's It's totally cheesy, but it says, The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than success. It is more important. Oh. Okay, I can't read. It is more important than success than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. So it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. And that is by Chuck Swindoll. Mm -hmm. And I always think that's such a great quote because, you know what? I mean, there's bad things happening all the time to people and certain people's bad things are, are, are far greater than others. And uh, I have a cousin right now who has cancer and she's going through a lot of treatments and, uh, uh, you know, it makes me sad to see. And um, But her attitude seems to be very good throughout it, you know? And I mean, that's she has kids and that's an inspiration for her family and stuff like that. And it's like, bad stuff's going to happen to you. Bad stuff has happened to you and it will happen to you again. And your attitude is... Yeah, I saw um, my friend Benton Ray uh, is a comedian, really funny guy here in Nashville. He he quoted something the other day. He said, uh, uh, remember the time that you wanted all the things that you have right now, you know, because you forget that not so long ago, the things that you have now were the things you wanted. Totally. And that really resonated with me because I always wanted a a loving husband who loved me for who I am. And now I have that. And then even just less than a year ago, I was stressed out about my green card and didn't know if it was going to happen. And that was the most important thing. And then I got it. And then, you know, last Thursday, I freak out about worrying about some things. And um, you forget about the things that you wanted and then you got them. So... So that is important. Okay, well, um, Dusty just got a phone call from someone that he had to talk to at 2, and I am now alone in this room, Um, but he did hear me say that last thing, and this sort of turned into like a self-help episode, but, you know, um, attitude is important, 
And thanks, y'all, for listening to the podcast. Uh, This is We're Having a Good Time. (laughs) 